Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yes, I'm very well. Yourself? I'm very well indeed, thank you, Chris. It's quite nice to be back on a Monday, isn't it? Yeah, we've had this routine for a couple of weeks, I think. I'm sure it will change come half-term or if you're travelling with your with your employment. Possibly. It's also worth pointing out, this is episode 104 for the 22nd of January 2024, and this marks two years we've been doing this. Of course, it's our two-year two anniversary, which had escaped me. It's, it's amazing, actually, how quickly that has gone and how quickly each week seems to come around. Because I always think, I'll do all these things in the week, and then when we talk, I can then talk to you and update you and update our listeners. And then the Monday's here, and I'm like, oh, I've done half the things I thought I'd get done this week, because life gets in the way, as I think we all experience from time to time. From time to time. So it's it's very nice. I think, you know, it's worked quite well. I don't know how many people listen to us. It's at least two or three, isn't it? So, you know, possibly more, but it's just nice to have a chat, and I think it's gone quite well. Yeah, it'd be good if the reporting was better, so you could understand your bot-to-human ratio a little bit better. Yeah, that would be quite nice to understand. But I think it's it's a hard times in podcasting land, isn't it? I see lots of things about, you know, podcasts are stopping doing it, advertisers not paying out. So I think just doing it because it's a bit of fun. It doesn't have to make money off your side hustle all the time, does it? No, that is true. I, I enjoy it. It's nice to have a talk. And it makes me read a lot more news than I normally would. I was listening it is, to... And I, oh, apologies, Carl. No, 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 go ahead. We're terribly polite here in Britain. Um, I was listening to one podcast launched um, by Charlie Chapman, who actually works at Revenue Cat as their developer evangelist, evangelist role. Um, he's slowing down his podcast. I think he tried to monetize it. And I think in the end, he's like, I'm just going to slow it down. I'll just do it when I've got the right guest rather than ha- trying to line up a sponsor and a guest because you need to guest every episode to do it. But it's a shame because it was an amazing show because he'd interview somebody who's made an app and then he'd start with, you know, did you do something at university or college to get you into computers programming and then what how then did you get into your app and then how's the app gone and and all of that and it was just a really good show it was really well done so it's a bit of a shame that podcasts aren't getting the love that they need i wonder if it's a reflection more on people not having to travel to work anymore because i always used to listen to podcasts in the car or, or latterly since i started walking the dog a bit more so i wonder if there is some sort of relationship there really possibly but Definitely here in the UK, it feels like offices are requesting more attendance than they once were. Um, I know many organisations going through that. I do a hybrid role where I'm half at home, half in the office. But I find time still to fit in quite a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. But I guess I make time, whether it's going for a walk, around the house, if the, you know, if my family's not there or I'm doing the dishes and, the, and they're all off you know, watching television or something. So I do try and fit it in because it's a great way to relax, I find, and escape. Yep, I'd go along with that. And encourage your friends to listen to Wake From Sleep podcast, I think, is probably the way to go. <laughs> that is a good show. It's a very good show. Should we do some follow-up? Yeah, let's get into it. So we've got Fine Woven Case in the show notes, which must be you because it's not me. That's definitely me. So I thought I'd have a go because having bought the case and then very swiftly replaced it for something that I thought was a bit more robust, which was my Kadabi. I think it's a clear case. I have referenced it before on the show. I went back to the Fine Woven Case just to see how it would wear because let's face it, Unless people actually use the case, how will you know? So I bought the top one. I think it's sort of a funny brown colour. I've had it as my sort of, the Americans say, daily driver for about a month at this stage. Oh, it's marking up real bad. It looks terrible at the corners, the scuffs across it. It takes a drop very well, but it is not wearing as well as Apple's previous leather cases, and they marked up fairly quickly. But I can see it's going to start peeling on the edges fairly soon. So from a durability point of view, this is not a patch on previous Apple cases, which by themselves aren't as good as what other manufacturers could make. So 
sometimes you want a case to patina and to look a little used because sometimes when they're brand new they do stick out a bit like a sore thumb um, and you you want them just to you know soften a little but from what you're saying <laughs> this has gone to the other extreme very very quickly I'm still case free I must confess actually and all, all good thus far I largely wear jeans and if not work trousers or a jacket and therefore it always lives within a pocket and I do have a little pouch should I ever want to just take it out and put it in a bag and put it out of the way but no no issues for me to report the, the 15 pro has been incredibly robust I must confess so I would still be an advocate of that lifestyle uh, I think you're on your own there. I know this caseless is a whole new thing, but uh, I certainly wouldn't go there. I don't want scuffs and scratches on my nice titanium back. I certainly don't want them on my screen. And I know the second I take it out of a case, I'll drop it from too high to a tile floor and that'll be the end of that. Oh, it's only a matter of time. I'm fully aware. But then that gives me an excuse to get next year's model or, or this yeah. year's model now. Yeah, but from here to, you know, September when the new models come out, could be a long wait with a cracked screen. It's the children I feel sorry for as they might get the cast me off. <laughs> That's fair enough. Pass it forward. Pay it on. You've got some follow-up. Apple Music Classical in the car. Yeah, so Apple announced today, um, possibly linked to the 17.3 release. They often do this. They bring out app updates at the same time. They've updated Apple Music Classical so that it now works in the car. I tried this as I was out earlier, and for me, it just crashed every time I opened it, which wasn't great. I'm hoping they need to flip a flag or do something, so I'll leave it in follow-up for next week and see if it actually improves. Uh, but I did see a comment, I think it was on Mastodon, is this the worst rollout Apple have done for a first-party app in a while? And I thought about it, and I think actually Calculate is worse because we still haven't got a calculator on the iPad, but we have it on the Mac and the iPhone, so you'd have thought they'd, they'd have a variant for the iPad. But it, it's a very gradual rollout. I'm glad they're doing it. They're clearly still working on it because you, you also have the worry sometimes with Apple that they've said they're going to do something and they don't do it or it takes them really, really long. So to be fair, I think we've had Apple Music Classical circa six months or so. We've had the iPad app in between. We've now got the in the cars. So it's slowly, you know, it's going the right way. I do think they've hamstrung themselves where they're trying to share the library with Apple Music. I just think that's stupid because on the Apple Music Classical app, you can't download any any tracks. So you have to do that while in the Apple Music app and then that's where the library is. And it's like the classical is like a subset of your Apple Music library, you know, the, the classical portion of it. And I just don't like that. I just want two completely separate worlds. Like when I'm in Apple Music, give me my pop and my rock and whatever I'm listening to. And then give me my classical, just put the wall up. And I think they need to switch somewhere to go, do you want to see your classical stuff in regular Apple Music or just keep it in classical? Which is what I would prefer. I'd like a wall between the two because it's a bit convoluted. That's interesting, isn't it? It kind of prompts the question, why isn't there a button in Apple Music just to flip between the two modes? This is classical mode, this is normal mode, and then they wouldn't need to develop two entirely separate apps. Do you know what? Not your worst idea at all there, I would, would confess. Um, and I think this is why possibly it's not come to the Mac, because I did listen back to our podcast, and I can't remember how I phrased it, but I said something antiquated on the Mac. And I wasn't really referring to Mac OS. I was more the, the music app, because the music app is just iTunes that they've renamed in essence. And it works completely differently to the iPad app. Would they ever just do the iPad music app on the Mac? I know it's a lot lighter and it doesn't have all the functions, but it's a pretty good app. And I think this is why they're probably struggling. How are we going to bring classical to it? Because it's kind of built in the iPad way, but the Mac music app is not. And so I, I guess they've got some questions to answer that anyway i think that's enough about classical hopefully i'll report next week that it's all working and i'm a bit happier but i still think they've got some way to go yeah i don't disagree who knows maybe it'll come at the vision pro one day as well 
Yeah, well, we get onto that, I think. So we'll talk about news? that later. Let's do some news. So our first story is yet another security flaw has been found in Apple products. This is pretty normal, let's face it. You get security flaws all the time. As long as they're patched relatively quickly, then that's not a bad thing. You know, Intel had and AMD had Heartbleed, I think it was called, which was actually a fundamental problem with all their processors that can uh, leave chips open and vulnerable. In this particular one, it's a flaw with the GPU on the iPhone 12 and the M2 MacBook Air, presumably other uh, variants of that silicon on a chip as well, where any program that's been left in the G or been run by the GPU is potentially accessible by somebody who has local access to the device. So that means your all your chat GPT queries, for example, which use the GPU rather than the CPU, could be read back out of the GPU's RAM effectively and, and seen. So that's quite a nasty little exploit. Yeah, it's not great, is it? I would assume the iPad M2 iPads would be impacted by this as well. It's not great, is it? It's it's good they're patching it and they're dealing with it, but yeah, slightly what am I trying to say? It slightly worries me, I guess, that it's gone on for so long. You know, the iPhone 12 is an old product now we're on the 15. So that's a good number of years. If you remember, it was the first one that went to the square square sides, as it were. But no, bonkers. Bonkers that it's gone on so long. It's good, good they're still working on it. And you've just pulled up an iPhone 12 for me to see. Um, it just so happens on my desk, I have an iPhone 11 with a rounded sides and an iPhone 12 with a squared off sides. So yeah, it there you go. Just, just that wasn't deliberate. I just happened to have them kicking around here. So yeah, I, I, I'm frustrated with Apple. It's taking so long, but I guess at least they're acknowledging it and moving it forwards now. Maybe I should try and run the exploit in this and see if I can get it to work. <laughs> it's I've never tried actually. Is that, have you ever done anything like that? I never have. It's getting into a world of hacking, security hacking, that I've never had any great. I've got an interest in, but I don't think I've got abilities to do. And it might freak me out how easy it is. Yeah, it's why I'm interested. I'm not interested in hacking anything, but I'm probably more interested just to how hard is it or actually how easy is it if you've got the instructions in front of you. Yeah, they're different things. The finding them yourself you're, is quite specialised, really. Anyway, uh, hopefully it gets patched fairly quickly, but that's quite a nasty flaw because you think it may persist into M3 chips as far as we know uh, anyway, so that's quite nasty. Uh, moving on, and this is something we've talked about a few times on this show uh, about the Digital Markets Act within the EU and what impact that will potentially have on Apple. We might touch on this a little bit later in the show as well for the main show too. But apparently Apple is almost ready to go with the ability to allow certainly users within the EU to sideload apps. So that's the ability to bring your own apps in, which you can kind of do now if you're a developer anyway. You can get IPA files and upload them to the device. But this would be slightly more blessed by Apple. And the report by Mark Gurman, the chief of all rumors in the Apple world, is saying that there may, we may end up with two separate app stores, one for the EU and one for the rest of the world, which I think is bananas. I do think it is bananas, but I could see Apple, as we've seen with other legislation, being obtuse and as painful about it as they possibly can. I was wondering, I wonder how they're going to turn this on, you know, because today, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, we just had 17.3 released, iOS 17.3 and, and, and all of its siblings. There's no mention of it in there. So is this going to be another point update or are they just going to f a flick a switch remotely, which they seem to be able to do on certain things? So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they enable it and did they say anything or do they just do an Apple? Yeah, we've turned it on. But we're not telling anybody about it and people just stumble across it. I, I, I'm curious to see how it's all going to un unfold. And a year from now, will we be having this call and actually it's made no difference whatsoever? Again, teaser for later. Apple flipped a switch on allowing web links for things and it hasn't gone down well. And given the amount of control the company seems to want to maintain for things like this, I think it will be in the most restrictive, most 
problematic way possible uh, for all users, frankly. So I think this is a definitely a space to watch. Yeah, they're, they're a little bit like a frustrating child in that they will do what you've asked them to do to the letter of the law and not anything above or beyond or take any common courtesy into account. It's a, yeah, it's not a nice side of Apple that we're seeing at the moment, but we are going to pick that up in the main show. But yeah, it's good it's coming. It's going to be super interesting to see what it means and whether it makes any difference there. They do lo- love money. Uh, moving on, and this is also hitting them slightly in the wallet, uh, Apple Watches with blood oxygen sensors are banned again. So we talked about this just before Christmas, that there was going to be a ban due to the ITC uh, and Apple's trademark dispute with Massimo. Uh, basically, if you buy an Apple Watch Ultra 2 or a Series 9 watch, the uh, pulse oximeter uh, will be disabled on it in software. So it will still have a hardware sensor on it, but you won't be able to get any pulse uh, pulse saturation, blood saturations off that device. So I think if you bought one of these and they disabled it now, that would be really frustrating because it's not the best feature of the watch, but it's something that, you know, you paid for uh, as a consequence of having it. So disabling it for existing devices is wrong. Disabling it on these devices is probably the only thing they can do, but it's rubbish. Sort it out, Apple. You've got all the money in the world. Buy them pay for the patent, pay for the trademark, whatever it is, just fix the problem. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on this, which is unusual for me. But no, I completely agree with you. I'm amazed that they haven't just driven a truckload of money over and gone, here you go, problem solved, let's get back on with business. It's very bizarre, I find. I 100% agree. It's it, You said it leading up to Christmas. It, they didn't. It's not as if they didn't know this was coming. And obviously they had the software ready to go where they could disable the, 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 the sensor on, on the off chance this was going to happen. But they should never have let it go this far. No, it's really, yeah, really bizarre. I can't, can't explain how it's got to this point. So, yeah, very strange. Yeah, poor show. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about... No, I'll tell you about this, actually, because you probably haven't seen it. And that We were talking last week, I had a link into XKCD, uh, which was a comic about standards on the internet. Basically, if you come along with another standard, instead of everybody else rallying behind your standard, all you do is you create another one. Uh, and I just thought it was funny that immediately afterwards I saw a story that linked back to an XKCD comic. Uh, but this is quite a cool bit of technology. It's binoculars with an AI-based bird identification feature in it. Uh, what did you think of this product? I thought it looked kind of cool because I must confess, I am not great at identifying any form of bird. And my brother-in-law works for the RSPB and he must be embarrassed anytime he goes out with me on a walk because I, I've just it's just not a skill I have. He's obviously very good at it and he very much enjoys that world. But I think this is brilliant if you don't know what you're looking for. But I do then have a question. If you don't know what you're looking for, are you going to be the one spending four thousand dollars nearly five thousand dollars on a pair of binoculars i would love a nice pair of binoculars but i wouldn't spend that much money on it for it to tell me what it is maybe it sees things that you don't necessarily see maybe if your your vision's going a little bit and you just need a little bit of assistance or it's a particularly rare bird that needs picking out i just think this is a really useful augment for for something i agree they're horrendously expensive it kind of puts the vision pro price into perspective a little bit when you think these are a pair of binoculars with this built in but it's cool. I think it's a nice product. Obviously, it's quite specialist. Is the Swarovski Svar- that's within this the same one that makes the jewellery that's in, in the shops? Uh, that is correct. So my brother-in-law does have a pair of, and I'm going to struggle to pronounce it, Swarovski uh, binoculars. The lenses are amazing. Like I don't know how it all works, but fantastic. Because obviously, they're not built for my eyes, but I just found the quality of them outstanding. The, the detail that you could see over, this, over the distance was really incredible. And like you, I think 
are they the jewelers i've seen that name before and they are and this is another line of, of what they do and they're very good at it so i think it's an interesting product it will come down hopefully over time but they do make very expensive binoculars and the cost of these probably isn't just the tech it is also the glass you know you and i have both had big lenses before and you pay a lot of money for good glass so that's, that's probably where a good percentage of the cost is going no, it's really cool. Uh, I will again point out the Merlin Bird ID app by uh, the Cornell Lab, which can identify birdsong. Uh, I've used it as an app of the week before now, mentioned it as an app of the week before now. Uh, but just walking through the park, you turn this thing on, it it monitors the background and can identify birdsong of five, six, seven birds singing at the same time. It's quite incredible. So you can see how these things are going to become more mainstream as time goes on. But this is cool. And uh, check out the XKCD cartoon that probably didn't inspire it but sort of pointed to it about five years ago so i thought it was quite cool yeah now it is cool tech and it's nicely tech in something that's not a tech product in essence absolutely do you want to tell us about music streaming and the eu uh, I'm, i don't disagree with this i just hate all the politics behind music streaming so the eu obviously wants to encourage platforms to pay more money i don't know how they're going to do this but it's going to be interesting to see how it goes through Parliament. How's it going to work for somewhere like Apple? I don't know how it works now. Do they pay the same worldwide or have they got lots of localised contracts in place? And does it matter where the artist is or the listener or both? You know, there must be some crazy matrix of how you work out what you're going to pay everybody. Um, it's going to be an interesting one to see how this happens. But it doesn't to me feel like artists are struggling, but whether that's more because they're making money out of concerts, because um, that's... Same if you're a stand-up comedian, for example, you, the real money is in in the concerts that you do in, and the live performances. Because I guess that's the thing people want now. Everybody's getting the music. It's not like you've got to go and buy the CD. And therefore, the real revenue generator for them is actually putting on a show, I think. Yeah, that's my understanding of this is live music. And this is why so many bands tour so hard these days is, you know, the gate of people coming in to see them, plus the merch what that you buy while you're there, are really what's getting artists through. There isn't a lot of money in streaming. It's such a commodity. If there is any money in streaming, streaming, it's for Taylor Swift and people like that at the top end of the market. It's not for new and breaking artists. And I think I feel sorry for new and breaking artists, really, because it says in this article they're stuck with pre-digital royalty rates a lot of the time for what's going on. So Spotify and Apple and Deezer and others can pay the, minim the minimal amount. And we've spoken a few times about how many streams it takes for an artist to get one pence or one euro or one cent, I guess it would be, uh, in the EU. So I think this is right that governments should look at this because Spotify carries on and doesn't pay people an awful lot. I suspect Apple pays them slightly better, but not an awful lot better because they've got to be competitive in that market. And musicians have to make a living too. Uh, and not everybody's big enough to tour. It, you know, you, that pathway from being a nobody to touring locally to doing it for fun to actually getting a bit of success, writing your own songs, it's a long road for lots of people. Not everybody is in Nirvana overnight, you know, and even they had to work very hard in their garage to get there. So I think this is good that they should be looking at these kinds of things to make sure artists are paid properly for what they do. And in, in a sort of changing world where you can go and you can ask ChatGPT to marry, mirror Johnny Cash doing I'm a Barbie Girl, that, that, that sort of deep fake of people's voices of existing artists where you can get it to produce music that you want. I'm sure I read about Warner Brothers produce, uh, releasing a single entirely performed by uh, an AI um, singer at, uh, over Christmas. I think this is important that you look at this and you can distinguish it for all the reasons we've been worried about up till now. Yeah, I would yeah, I'd agree with that. Something needs to happen. But again, I, like with the Apple in the EU piece, 
you you kind of need international legislation for a bunch of this stuff and i don't know how you get to that position you need like the un of tech here for for tech laws don't you you do and sticking with ai our next story is about open ai and they've got to defend the fact that ChatGPT makes things up. So there was a libel suit, I think it was in America, that came to court, and following the, the ruling of that court is that they need to be able to defend these fabrications that come up. How has the model arrived at this fabrication? And I think this is a slippery slope for ChatGPT that we, we were talking about when we talked about the rabbit last week. The look to the side to do verification of truth is something we've said from the beginning. The rabbit technology was going to do that, but OpenAI at this point do. I was mulling on this a little bit after we talked about it last week and thinking, and they're going to allow military applications now. So if you're going to send OpenAI to discover the next sort of chemical warfare, what's coming out there, it's going to discover some horrendous stuff, isn't it, based on this. So you want to make sure that all the chemical warfare you're doing is right and within the Geneva Convention and all that kind of stuff as well. So I, these kinds of things are quite important. And there's another story in a minute about how governments are starting to try to address this. But yeah, I think this is only right that they should be made to to own up to their mistakes and to be able to try and rectify them. I guess it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, and by the way, I don't like the name hallucinations for this because it's not just chat GPT, it's other, any form of AI could have an hallucination in essence where it's told you something that is factually incorrect, but yet it's obviously, as you say, had a route to get there. Um, but the fact we're calling it hallucinations, I just don't like it. Like we've, we've, we've got a name for it. It's, and the name kind of says it's not a big thing. It's just told you something that's factually incorrect. Don't worry about it. I get the bit about them being held liable for it. And I'm guessing that's why Microsoft have done anything under the Copilot brand, because what they're very much marketing everything as is this will help you, but you've got to check it before you push send, because we're not going to send it for you. And that way we can't be held responsible because you're pushing the big button. We are not. So, yeah, not surprised by this at all. Um, and there's going to be more of these surely over time especially if people start using this in the main or they say something you know out loud in a in a public space such as radio tv and then afterwards it gets fact checked by the general public probably and they realize there's mistakes being made obviously the producers of the radio show are going to be looking right who, who do we sue then so i'm not surprised by any of this but if this then is procedable to be sued you know, for chat GTP, chat, oh, I can't even say it, chat, chat GPT, I don't know why I struggle with that acronym, then this would set then the president moving forwards, whereas they've they've got to be quite hard on this, I think. And then I guess that leads us into your next piece that you were saying about governments having a framework. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, I was going to finish your thought there. I'm, I'm slightly derailed just on, on the sort of details of this is chat GPT is fabricating a lawsuit. So, you know, it's going into a legal thing, talking about having fabricated a lawsuit. And then that the person that was accused, who is a, a gun rights advocate in America, had been accused of defrauding and embezzling funds. So, you know, th this this whole hallucination thing, I mean, it made it up. A hallucination is a daydream, you know, or, or, or something like that. And it's doing that kind of stuff. So I don't mind hallucination as much as you do. But yeah, this kind of stuff's dodgy. And apparently some of the Republican can no, accused Republican people in some of the law uh, suits uh, and on Trump cases have been using ChatGPT to defend themselves. So this kind of stuff, using the law to cite the law that is non-existent law, that if the judge doesn't know the law well enough or the lawyers don't know, know the law well enough, this kind of stuff gets into the court system and then they just need to refer to that case to say it was right. So it's, it is a, you know, it's a pyramid of problems you know, when you start getting down to the detail of this stuff. But it is interesting. And yeah, moving on, 
governments do need to start legislating on this. And the second article I've linked is actually from the UK government. So it's a gov.uk website on the generative AI framework. And there's a whole bunch of stuff basically reporting on what the principles of an AI framework should be. And I won't read them all out, but it starts with principle one. You know what generative AI is and what its limitations are. I think it's going to fail on principle one, frankly, for many people because they don't. Principle two, you use generative AI lawfully, ethically, and responsibly. Okay, so we don't have military applications and things. You know, immediately we're into a world of problems, and, and, and this is what the UK government is beginning to sort of produce as a consequence. And we've said before, governments aren't the best at producing technical information or, or technological standards, and this stuff really worries me. Principle six, you use the right tool for the job. Is generative AI the right tool for the job? Certainly not if you're trying to cite legal cases. Yeah, this is quite interesting because they've got posters here of the principles and that and the limitations to display in your government office. So it's quite interesting that, like I say, it's designed for the government office. Sure, they should be designing these for any office because I think this this isn't just a government problem, you know, of employees using it or public servants, should I say, but everybody using this in any organisation in any country at the moment we do need this again you kind of need the uh, united nations for this don't you the posters are the most boring posters in the world though i mean you can tell these have been designed by a government think tank it's basically the text of the principle blown up into as big a font as it can get onto a poster with principle one principle two and her majesty sorry his majesty's government stuck on the bottom of it so yeah not great no they're not terribly engaging i guess is the right word but you can you can imagine these being stuck in toilet cubicles and what have you couldn't you why didn't they get a, some sort of generative AI to make them sexier posters? That's exactly what they should do. And they should have a little note at the bottom. This was made using the tools we're telling you about and informing you about. And this is what you can do with it in the right way if you use it responsibly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as always, the AI world keeps us fascinated. Moving along a little bit. Uh, this is an Ars Technical article uh, citing this year that uh, there has been a a researcher who has uncovered one of the biggest password dumps in recent history. And considering all the password dumps we've talked about recently, that's quite a big deal, isn't it? In this case, more than 25 million of the passwords had never been seen before. And this is out of nearly 71 million unique credentials stolen for logging into websites such as Facebook, Roblox, eBay, and Yahoo. And they've been circulating on the internet for the last four months. This is a vast amount of information. Yes, yeah, this is insane, isn't it? And I like that the screenshot's got an example of some, some people's passwords in it if you scroll through the article. It's interesting to see what other people, you know, uses their password. I'm always fairly relaxed, but I did get an email from Have I Been Pawned? I did check it out because you just never know, do you? If you're in there, have you got MFA set up? Is it an old email address or an old account that you'd forgotten about? But this is ridiculous, the sheer quantity of it, 104 gigabytes, which doesn't sound like a lot in today's money, but when that's just plain text that's a huge amount of plain text and email addresses and passwords so it's oh, it's not good and this keeps yeah. happening. This keeps happening doesn't it it's not like we're over this it just keeps coming back around and it's only going to get worse and what's really significant about this one is a third of the email addresses have never been seen before so it's not the usual stuff that's circulating new information is coming out all the time and again you take this and you add it to what came before and you work out with the passwords and you've got some really effective stuff to break into people's banking, home internet, you know, whatever else, you know, their personal social security information, employment records, problematic. 
Yeah, not good. And I guess my children will start appearing on there as they start using things online and their email address starts getting known and their passwords. Thankfully, they've got very many at the moment. And it's great that Apple obviously have, you know, a password manager. So there's no excuse not to use randomized passwords. But again, one password, Bitwarden, uh, iCloud password manager that's built in where you can use pass keys and make your password suitably complex. People, it's, it's a tough old world out there. Yeah, agreed. You've got to start. You've got to start, stop using your password, if that makes sense. Uh, I'm certainly trying out passkeys. I've been trying that on Amazon. We've been using, um, we're piloting uh, not having a password at work, and you, you use your phone to authenticate you. Is your, yep, that's definitely me logging into my, my PC. So that's, that's been quite interesting. And you can see where we are going. We are heading passwordless, but it's going to be a long old journey. It certainly is. Moving on, Bing Search shows few, if any, signs of market share increase, despite all the co-pilot stuff that Microsoft are build, building in. I got to say, I'm not surprised. I'm not. I, I'm a little surprised. I guess I thought I would have seen a little uptick, but it takes a long time for people to change their habits. It's like when iOS gets a new feature. If it wasn't there for the last couple of years, it takes you a while to get used to and start using it religiously. I think so. I'm not surprised, but I thought they would have had something. I don't know what that something is, but you, people probably don't even know where the setting is on their iPhone to go and change the default search. And therefore, they, they probably just start searching again like normal because they tried Bing out yesterday, but I've forgotten about it today. And oh, I don't know how to change it, so I just carry on with Google. And it was complicated, I think. I think the chat GPT co-pilot thing, definitely a novelty for the general public where they're going and asking it a few questions. But I suspect most people, in most cases when they're looking for a website, they're looking for a product, they just use what's on their phone or on the browser in front of them. For most people, that's Google Chrome, or it's Safari if they're on a phone, or it's Google Chrome if they're on an Android phone. They default to Google, all of them. So you have to make an effort to go to Bing or be sitting in front of a corporate PC like yours where you may have mandated that everybody must use Bing as a search engine. Probably not, is my suspicion. Most businesses tend to use Google because it had to get better Google search. Yeah, and people want Google. People want Google Chrome. People want Google Search. They like their Google products, the general population. It's the, I'm probably the oddity at work. I use DuckDuckGo and Safari. So I'm, like I say, I'm, I'm probably in a niche. So I'm not surprised. I think Microsoft have got a long way to go to, to win back that business, like they did with Edge. I think they're doing a great job with Edge, but it's going to take them a long time to get, you know, a real indent into Chrome's market share. I, I think we reported the other week that it's, they're still not doing great. Yeah, they're not doing great, despite it being pre-installed on PCs. I think Windows 11 uptake hasn't been all that they could have hoped for, certainly for home users and things like that. I know businesses have been encouraged to move to it. We've talked about Windows 10 going end of life. I do feel Microsoft are sort of scrabbling around a little bit. They've got a lot of fairly positive feelings about them from developers who might not be looking at Apple in the same way that they did or feel burned by Google dropping products all the time and all the rest of it. Microsoft are a little more stable than that. At the same time, I feel like they're betting the farm a little bit on, on Copilot and GPT-based things. And if that starts to go wrong for them, you know, are they going too much in one direction? I don't know. But time will tell, I guess, and never get bet against Microsoft because they are the standard in lots of places. But the web has become the, the defining thing. If you have good web access and you're doing that via Google Chrome, that's got to be a concern for Microsoft, particularly with the push to mobile and you know new devices hitting the market. Servers are important. They have got embedded in that place too, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, they've, they've clearly um, embedded in the server market and have largely stayed there. I think there's a lot of Microsoft houses, but I think you're right. They're throwing a lot of stuff at AI. They're, they're trying to be aggressive with their rollout, but I think they're struggling to find all the use cases, especially for the high license costs. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on, uh, another story, and this time is Amazon may be planning to charge from for Alexa come June. Wow, I mean that's a big turnaround. Yeah, that's quite a thing for Amazon. If it feels a bit like uh, Apple Music Voice, if you remember that, you could pay Apple five dollars a month instead of the usual ten or eleven, and you could speak to Apple Music to have it to play things for you. And then they did away with it a year later. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes for Alexa. But again, if you've bought an Alexa recently, are they then going to start charging you for it after you've acquired it? So that's going to be a, a tough pill for some people to swallow, I think. It is. I mean, if you think back to fairly recent history, Amazon did just before Christmas say they were going to put ads even for people that were paying for Amazon Prime. So they want their cake and eat it in that case. You're paying your, I think it's £95 in the UK for a Prime subscription of which you get a video, which used to be entirely ad-free. They had uh, Free V, I think it was called, or IMDB TV before that, which was like an ad-supported tier for some of those services. This, however, is a whole different thing. How long have they been selling Alexa devices now? The voice in a can has been a big deal for Amazon for a very long time. I think it's synonymous with voice-activated assistance as you shout that word in the air and it tells you a joke, it tells you your delivery is coming. A lot of people bought into it and you think of the diversity of devices that have Alexa in them, including, I think, some cars have an Alexa sort of voice assistant that's built into it. It's a bit of an ask to pay for something that people are all right with or bought a 20 quid up to 150 quid or more devices that's by the side of the bed or in the kitchen they answer things with. I wonder how many would pay for a subscription for that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how they do this one. So my, my card does have Alexa support. came, I think, last year. Never used it. But how are they going to do this? Because are you going to charge people to have it in your car, in your house? I think some thermostats might do it and what have you. So it's going to be super interesting to understand this. And like I say, if I'd bought an Alexa today and then I've got to pay for it in a few months' time, but you didn't tell me about that at the point of purchase. Do I have any action, you know, I can take there to return it because the, the, the deal's changed. It's not what it was. And I do wonder, though, whether Amazon thought they, when they first did it, maybe we're going to get loads of repeat business, you know, somebody's in the kitchen. Hey, you know, order some cheddar cheese from Morrison's and I need a new frying pan. But nobody does that. Everybody goes on the phone to do it. So you're not going to order. So I, I think it's incredibly rare you would order something sight unseen without just quickly glancing on your phone to make sure you got the right thing so maybe that part of it never really took off as they hoped which should have paid for it if they're getting loads of reoccurring revenue yeah i mean it's smarter than siri it's not as smart as google but you know it was good enough for doing that add this to my shopping list and all the rest of it later on in this article it says that in 2022 alexa was on track to lose amazon 10 billion dollars in a year now, that's an awful lot of money, and if you think about that, that's on devices, which they put in people's houses, but it's the compute in order to service those uh, queries and the people that listen to what's going on with it on those queries, because that was the other thing, was a lot of these recordings were being passed around because it was recording all the time in people's homes. So 2022 is two years ago at this point. None of these costs go down. Compute is more expensive. People's time is more expensive. There is a cost of living crisis, etc., etc. If it was $10 billion then... If it's fourteen billion now, that is a staggering amount of money to lose year in, year out. And you could understand why they might be thinking we've got to do something to offset this. My suspicion would be if they start to charge for this though, people will stop using it, turn the devices off and realise they're not really adding that much to their lives. Yeah, I do wonder how much people really use it other than to set timers and obviously you could do all that locally. But the cloud compute is expensive and it's only going one way, so it's not a big shock if they're gonna to want to start covering their costs now. Not at all. Moving on, back to Apple. Apple has been made to open up the iPhone NFC chip to third-party providers, so that's other people giving use of the payment chip. 
good, I think is my response to this. Good. As long as it's secure. I assume people will need a entitlement to be able to do it that Apple has to bless you for, like with a CarPlay app or what have you. Yes, so it makes sense. This stuff's got to start opening up. And I was reading somewhere on Mastodon, I think, recently. It's a shame that they've had to be forced to do these things because they could have done these things a lot better, a lot quicker, but they've held on for far too long. So it is a shame that it's come to this because it will probably end up being worse than if they just did it off their own backs. But it is what it is. It is. And... Android or Android devices have faced this before as well. There are alternative payment platforms on Android. You can have PayPal wallet. You can have Samsung Pay. You can do other things other than Google Pay that built into it. And as you say, as long as you have the blessing of and the right security protocols involved with it, I don't see that as a problem. I wonder what percentage Apple will charge for the privilege of other people making use of this, as again, we'll, we'll probably talk about later. But I think it's good that they're being made to open up these platforms to other people. You've bought the device. Apple don't, aren't entitled to every single pence or euro, or cent, or dollar that happens to progress through that device from that point onwards, but uh, maybe more on that later. Yeah, it's, the devil's going to be in the detail of how they implement it, because that's the bit I think they are not doing a, a great job with their implementing it, but not making it a nice experience for anybody. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some software updates? Yeah, so look, just before recording, iOS 17.3's dropped for the iOS devices, i.e. your iPhones, your iPads, HomePods, TVs, and macOS 14.3. Not a lot to report. Really, the big one, I think, for this is in your iPhone, but not your iPad for some reason, it's got stolen device protection. So it just increases the security of your phone, and we talked about this at length. So for certain things, you need to do Face ID and your passcode or your, your password rather than just your passcode, which is how it's been historically and where people have been social engineering thefts of, you know, forcing you to put your uh, pin code in in front of them and then stealing your phone later. It should stop all of that. And then the phone will delay for an hour to make certain changes if you've got the phone in your hand. So I think it's really good. I've turned it on on mine. I quickly updated my wife's phone before for this call, turned it straight on for her and just thought, this seems like a no-brainer to me. I definitely want to turn it on my phone's on my son's phone once he comes home because I'm more worried about him than anybody, I think, losing losing his device. So I think that's a really good feature. So everybody should get it, turn it on. It is off by default, so it's in settings and it's under face ID. So that's where you go to turn it on. And there's also collaborative playlists coming to this version, which was rumoured, I think it was in a 17.2 beer, got pulled, which is something I believe Spotify's had for a long time. So it's quite nice to see this. I I think I might try this out with my son because I often suggest tracks for him to listen to and he may well want to suggest some for me. So um, I think that's it's nice it's coming. I think they've still got a lot to do on Apple Music, haven't they? They have got a lot to do on Apple Music. Moving these things along seems to take time. This was a feature that was announced in the beta, I think, the collaborative playlists and the in-car playlists and all the rest of it. It's surprising me it's taking so long to do some fairly fundamental features. Why bother announcing it back in WWDC last year, so June last year, and then only make it available come the end of January the year after? The, the balance is off for me for when they start announcing these big software features. They they need to do a better job of saying, okay, this is something, this is going to be in version 0.2, 0.3, 0.4, and actually have a roadmap rather than saying, hey, big bang, you're going to have all these features we install the new software, which I suppose normal people don't really get too involved with. It's only geeks like us who are sort of focused on the devil and the detail stuff. So that's annoying, but things like the stolen device protection, why isn't that on as default? So I've got two thoughts here. One, I'm guessing they don't tell you the point number it's going to come out in case it slips. 
I reckon they've had some issue with this collaborative playlist because it has slipped a lot. I do wonder the music architecture, whether they've got some tech debt in there because it does seem painful when they update things. And obviously they are doing it for squillions of users. Device Stolen device protection. I think it's off by default until they've got got a bit more comfort with it, I guess. Because, you know, they've got millions and millions of users, if not a billion or more. So I reckon they're just erring on the side of caution. I think it will come in time, but it will take a little while. Why is it not on my iPad as well, please? I'm sorry, but it's the same hardware, the same OS. Like, just turn it on. I would turn that on in a, in a heartbeat. You're less likely to have your iPad sat on the thing in a pub paying for drinks, I would have thought, than, than you would be, or a coffee shop. Agreed, but you use it on the train or whatever, and you're using a big old keyboard and we could, you know, record you typing in. I just think if you've got the tech, you haven't designed it for the iPad, but you could have it on the iPad as well. Why wouldn't you? And yes, but talking about caution for companies, this is the company that put APFS on all their devices and then rolled it back, and that was millions of people. Yeah, but they did that in a stealth way, so we didn't even know it was really happening. Then he spoke about that afterwards. And again, though, that was a preemptive upgrade to make sure it was fine before they did the real upgrade. I'm not sure how that's better. Anyway, it's it's a good feature. I'm glad it's coming. I do agree with you. It should be on any device that's running. You know, it should be on the iPad. Bring something in like it for the Mac as well, for goodness sake. Why not? I think it will do, but over time. I just think it will slowly happen over time until they get comfortable with it. Fair. Anything else in news? Just very br- briefly, breaking news. The uh, Apple Music Classical CarPlay app has been pulled because of, of, wild, of, of more reports of it crashing on launch. So it wasn't just me. Because, you know, you do have the moment, like, is this just me? So I've just added that in. That's it for news. Oh, that's rubbish. They don't have to do that very often, do they? It's bad, though, isn't it? We've had a couple, though. They had one of the iOS betas crashed on launch. They've had this now. So it, it, it is interesting. They've got a couple of bugs out there. Software quality dropping. Should we do some media? Let's do it. So first one, we talked about it last week when we were talking about the Horizon scandal in the post office. We both said we were going to go off and watch Mr. Bates versus, uh, Mr. Bates versus the post office, which is the ITV drama, dramatizing the true events of what happened with Alan Bates, who was sort of the person who stuck his head above the parapet to fight the po- post office. Uh, I went and did my homework. Did you watch it? I did watch it. I watched it with my wife. I enjoyed how they shot it, the way they told the story, I thought it was very well done. Typical for me, I thought it was very ITV drama. You know, it had that all the hallmarks. I thought it was very good. I did not enjoy watching any of it, though, in a way, because it's embarrassing that this thing is a farce and has ruined so many people's lives. I just thought it was ridiculous, especially when you look at the quantity of people that were taken to court and prosecuted, and yet it all came down to a computer problem. And there's all these people meeting up and saying there's a problem with the system, and I get it, if it was five people, maybe maybe there's not a problem. But when it's hundreds of people, there's a problem. And all, all the cover-ups and all the hiding of information and not sharing was just awful. It was uncomfortable to watch, I thought. Yeah, I'd go with that. It was a very well-told story. I, I take your point at being a sort of fairly traditional ITV drama from that point of view. But they told the story in a very understandable way for people who weren't techie or weren't geeks or, or, or didn't really understand the ins and outs of remote access to things, complexity of code, security features around things, running updates, having to deal with non-technical users with the rollout of a computer system and all that kind of things, which you and I have both had to, had to do in, in jobs we've had before. And almost every stage it boggled my mind the amount of denial that was taking place from the beginning of 
when they would phone up the helpline for support and be told, oh, we've never had help, you know, we've never had that problem described to us before, repeatedly from hundreds of people. And you think even the call handlers, how could they have kept a straight face while they were doing it, while they were continually being told all the time the amount of money that was going astray, they were, you know, trying to balance their accounts at the end of the day and the people from Fujitsu were dialing in and changing them while the postmasters were logged into the system. Of course they had remote access to the system. What sensible IT professional would put out a system in which they couldn't have access to the terminals to see what was going on? But we did it in the NHS, but we had to request permission for the people using it at the other end so they could see that there was an IT support person accessing their machine. And I think most places work on that that sort of feature. Yeah, I'm completely with you on this. I was watching it in two minds. One, I wanted to understand more about the story, but two, I'm in charge of some IT systems and this could happen to me. And I was like, I wanted to understand how they found it. But you'd have thought they'd have had some trend analysis on it of issues coming in. Oh, look, we've had hundreds of this issue. Maybe there is a problem, but the constant denial was insane, I think, because nothing is inscrutable. But um, yeah, really well done. Would definitely recommend if anybody wants to know more about about the whole plot and that's the story and the details it's just done in a really nice way and like i think i said it being an itv drama isn't a bad thing it was just that sort of style it was very well filmed it looked amazing i thought it was very good i just generally quite enjoyed it and i watched it with my wife she enjoyed it too yeah i thought it was excellent um four episodes 45 minutes each bit of advertising unless you pay for itvx it's probably available in America on BritBox. I, I don't know for sure, but you know quite a lot of ITV things are. Um, it's funny, I recommended to Merlin Mann today on Mastodon, uh, who's quite into Master and Commander, that you should go and watch Hornblower. Previous recommendation here. Uh, and I was thinking, I'm recommending this ITV show, Hornblower. Is that even something you can get in America? I don't know. I've no idea how that works. So I'm probably the worst one to ask. Well, it's quite nice to do it this way around because quite often we're sitting on podcasts listening to Americans say things you can only get on HBO. So there you go. There's a couple of good British things to go and watch. I'm always amazed on American podcasts how well up they are with some British culture and British TV shows. So they must, they, a lot of them do break through, I think. Yeah. Also in the uh, show notes, there's a link to Fujitsu uh, not being not bidding for more UK businesses until the post office inquiry closes. It's quite funny because they just won one in Northern Ireland for something like three hundred and fifteen mil, no, four hundred eighty-five million pounds. So they made sure they got that contract over the line before they said they weren't going to bid for any more. So that's dodgy, and that's for education in Northern Ireland. But yeah, probably the right thing to do. They've got to try and save some face now, haven't they? They absolutely have. Although I think the stable door is well closed after the horses bolted in that particular one. Yeah, agreed. I spoke last week. I'd started watching a new Apple TV show with Peter Capaldi called Criminal Record on Apple TV+. Plus. I've persisted with that. It's not the greatest thing I've ever watched. It's a bit of a shame. I want everything that's sort of crime-related to be line of duty that's involved in the police. It's not line of duty, but then what is? Even things that followed up line of duty were in line of duty. Uh, I think looking at you, Vigil, uh, another AT, uh, BBC show that was not great. This is okay. It's a solid six out of ten for me. It's, you know, it's compelling enough. If they didn't make any more of it, I wouldn't be terribly upset. I'm vaguely interested to see where it's going. I think there's one or two left. It's all right. That's not helping me because I haven't started it yet and I really want to see it because I like Peter Capaldi, but your review, not helping. I thought it looked interesting, but yeah, your face and your, your words are not helping this one. So maybe that's gone further down the list. It's not a bad show, but it's not a great show. Yeah, understood. And sometimes you do just want something on in the background. I often do that when I like to have some noise when I'm working. So maybe it's something for that. Fair enough. 
You have one for us. Oh, yeah. So I talked, I think I watched Fool Me Once on Netflix, a Harlan Coburn TV show. And we thought we'd go and watch something else. Somebody recommended The Strangers, which actually came before this. They're not linked, but they are written by the same person. It's got the same direction and some of the same actors in it. And to me, you can see, you just watch the first episode of The Strangers. And if you went and watched the first episode of Fool Me Once, they are 100% written and directed by the same people because there's just a lot of similarities in the way they're telling the story and where you you get showing a story and then your whole mind puts everything into doubt um but it looks quite good and again good good sort of couples tv show to watch i think so um quite enjoyed it but it was in a way probably a little too similar to fool me once if i'm honest a good crime mystery thriller type thing is a good thing to have i think it's not a bad recommendation yeah it's it's interesting it's certainly you know if a stranger came up to you and go did you know your wife faked a pregnancy four years ago and um, before she apparently miscarried you'd be like what? And then you start digging and it turns out to be true. It's like, well, how did the random person A, find me and B, know this? And then, so, yeah, it's, it's got an interesting start to it. It'll be, I'm curious to see how they play it out, but it's eight episodes. So they do seem to go for a long TV show, whereas I think some things could be four and just be a little bit, bit sharper. But there you go. A bit more succinct, eh? Yep. It's also worth talking about two upcoming shows that I'm look- one I'm really looking forward to because I've known about it for a while and one I only found about today. So the first one is Masters of the Air, which uh, is a follow-up sort of alongside uh, Band of Brothers and The Pacific. It's made by the same team, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. It's got some fantastic actors in it, including the guy that played Elvis Austin Butler, I want to say, and Shuti Gatwa, who's the new Doctor Who, uh, and others. It just looks beautifully filmed. I did see a preview review of it in The Guardian the other day. Uh, it was five stars. It's the best thing that they've uh, seen on TV. They're so excited about it. He was telling all of his friends. So I'm super excited about that. And it's the end of the month. Oh, okay. That's coming on quite quick. They have got some good stuff coming, to be fair. Yeah, so this is a good one, one to look out for, and I'm definitely up for watching it. Uh, it made me think slightly that I should go back and watch Memphis Bell. Did you watch Memphis Bell? Uh, I was about to say this to you. I saw the trailer for it, and it reminded me of Memphis Bell. I've probably not seen that, I'm trying to think how old I am now, in about 20 years, or maybe longer, 25 years. Maybe we should make that our homework for this week to go back and rewatch Memphis Bell, if you've got time. <laughs> I'm, wondering it, I'm wondering where you can watch it. Well, that's going to be a little, maybe a report back next week. And then the second thing is another TV show starring Numi Rapace called Constellation. It's a astronaut goes to space, mysterious device, comes back to Earth, isn't sure what's going on. She's got events in her life that hadn't happened. Uh, I'll watch the trailer for this. It's about two minutes 30. It looks right up my street, this. A bit of gravity, bit of, I don't know, maybe it's parallel universe, bit of horror, I'm not sure what. But it just looks really well filmed. And just for me, it looks like Apple continuing to really knock it out of the park when it comes to science fiction. Might be dreadful, of course. Shining Girls was dreadful. But uh, yeah, this looks interesting. It does look good. The trailer certainly hooks you in, I think. So no, looking forward to this. And it looks like a good, as did Criminal Record, looks like a good Apple TV Plus show. A quick follow-up on Memphis Bell. It is available on iTunes here in the UK for £3.99 to buy. 50p less if you want to rent it. Um, it got 68% Rotten Tomato score and it came out in 1990. Wow. Well, it, it was a good film on my head, but uh, maybe that'll be one for another day. I have a little bit of follow-up question for you. Did you finish Killers of the Flower Moon? That's a review in itself, really. So I even downloaded it to my iPad because I was going to London. I thought, when I come in home on the train, that's about an hour. I just didn't have the brain capacity to watch it. I thought, I've not, I was too tired after a day of work and meetings and I thought I want to give it my attention and I wasn't in the mood for it but it also wasn't compelling enough for me 
to sit and watch it. Whereas the killer that I watched before Christmas with Michael Fassbender in it, I watched that twice, you know, one day after the other because I was so engrossed in it and genuinely really enjoyed it. I'm, I think I'm put off by the time commitment. I think if it was an hour and a half film, I'd have watched it by now. But it's two and a half hours I've still got left to run on it, I think. So I think that's, that's put me off in the wrong way. Fair enough. I think that's it for media. Should we do a couple of games? Uh, it's over to you for games, sadly, I think, because unless you want to hear more about Gran Turismo, I've got not much to add, sadly. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about Call of Duty. So games, one that I thought was worth mentioning because I was such a fan of the original Plants vs. Zombies when it came out on the iPad. I know you played it too. Back in the day, Plants vs. Zombies 2 was not well received. They sort of moved to a pay-as-you-go model for it with selling loot packs and all the rest of it. They have just launched in the UK. I don't think it's available in the US yet and a couple of other regions, Plants vs. Zombies 3. It's a bit of a return to form to the original Plants vs. Zombies. It's free, but you can buy packs. You just sort of grind your way through it to get bits and pieces. It's not bad. Uh, There's new plants in there. There's a slightly new format. I find the levels a bit short. It doesn't have sort of the construction in the same way the original one did, but I've played a bit of it. I think I've played 16 or 17 levels. It's all right. If you're looking for some Plants vs. Zombies fun, it was it was kind of fitting the bill for me. I like the game. I hate EA. I think that's my synopsis of the situation. Let me pay some money for it, but don't, don't microtransact me. Just let me hand you a, I don't know, five, ten pounds. I don't know what the number is. Um, but don't do microtransactions. I hate it with a, with a burning passion. It really puts me off wanting to even play a game because I know it will frustrate me. That's fair enough, I understand it. So far, I haven't had to pay for a damn thing, though, so you know, keep that in mind. But does it keep asking you every opportunity? Not too egregiously. It's, it pops up the odd thing saying you can buy a bit more of this and skip a level. I don't want to skip the levels. I want to fight, fight the zombies. That's why I've got the game. Yeah, I'm, so I'm probably with you on this. I just want to, yeah, I just want to play the game. Yeah. I, oh, I just find it really egregious. I just don't, don't like it. Yep, fair. And the second thing, and I haven't played it as much as I'd like because I keep getting distracted by Call of Duty, uh, is a game on my PlayStation monthly free games for the subscription called Teardown, which is a bit of an unusual looking game. It's kind of a heist simulator, I think is the way I can put it. It uses voxels, not pixels. Uh, my daughter walked in and said, hey, are you playing Minecraft? It's not Minecraft. It's There's an objective, and the objective might be to blow up a building or steal a safe, and you can go about that in any way you want. So you start with a character who's got a sledgehammer, you can manipulate things in the real world. It's got a bit of physics and things behind it, so you can open doors and hit your sledgehammer against things, but some things aren't destructible with a sledgehammer. So your first mission, for example, is to knock down a house at three in the morning because you've got to clear a building site for somebody. And I went at it with my sledgehammer and I couldn't knock down the chimney and the ambition was to, this house is four metres too high, you've got to knock it down. Wasn't getting anywhere. There were some oxygen tanks you could throw at it to try and blow bits up as well. And like I say, the physics in it are very good. I then noticed there was two JCBs around the corner, a digger and a sort of uh, a grader type thing. And you can drive them and you can drive them into the house and you can knock things down and you manipulate the bucket. Quite well done. I think your kids particularly would like it. I think it's right up their street. I don't know how much more complex it gets. Like I say, I need to go back to it. But I was just really impressed for the free game they gave away. It looks really nice. Well, it's a bit blocky, Minecrafty, but, you know, good sound effects, well thought out. Yeah, quite enjoying it so far. It's like a slightly higher res Minecraft. So I looked at the first graphic of it and I thought, oh, it looks like Minecraft, but just slightly smaller blocks, I guess. And then the second screenshot actually looks a lot less like Minecraft, even though same, still obviously the same art style. But it looks really cool. I quite like the take on it. Yeah, I'm quite interested by this. You should maybe go and have a look at your monthly games because I suspect it's probably there. I don't think I'm paying them any money. 
Oh, that would stop you. That that, that, that that would stop that one. I did notice at the top of it, though, The Last of Us Part 2 Remastered is also out on the PS5, so that's probably something I need to pick up once I finish Part 1. Fair. Anything else for games, or should we do a little bit of a main show? Yeah, let's get into the main show. Okay, so we've got two parts to the main show. We will talk about the Vision Pro, because there's some more information coming to light about that following the pre-orders last Friday. But the first thing that dropped on that Friday and really sort of set the tone for what was going to come next was following a Supreme Court decision by Apple after the Epic Games case, which we'll also touch on a little bit as well, is Apple can, sorry, developers can now have a link via an app to go off and complete their payment via a website. So that's great. Yay. Uh, You could imagine Netflix back in the day being quite interested in something like this. Uh, They didn't want to pay the in-app subscription. They couldn't put a link in their app to say, go here and you can buy a subscription. They could just sort of hint, go and look at netflix.com. They couldn't give an actual subscription to that. So they refused to pay that. People had to work. And it's quite an opaque user experience for people who want to make use of a product. Problematic. And the Epic case is vaguely related to this as well. Anyway, Apple have now been forced to allow this to happen. And they've done it in the worst, most controlling, nastiest way possible. And I may get this wrong, Chris, so please correct me if I've got it wrong. The meat of it is, if you put one of the links in your app, you've got to pay Apple 27% of the purchase price of this going forward. And here's the worst bit. That's bad enough. So these developers need to pay 27% of whatever costs they've accrued to set up link, external payment, all the rest of it, just for the privilege of you not paying Apple to do it the 30% Apple expected. But Apple reserves the right to track those links for up to a week afterwards in case you click it at some point in the future. Now, I think that's why they banned Facebook from the App Store, or at least made Apple, Facebook have those tracking permissions denied because it was doing this kind of behavior. But it's okay if Apple did it. Yeah, it's not good, is it? So if you're a regular app developer and you want to take a payment, you pay 30%. In this case, they're saying you can... Apple only take 27% because they're going to you're going to process a transaction on your own store because they say that their payment fees cost them 3%. So it gives you an indication of how they've come to that number. But they're not doing anything else for it, but that they believe that is the right cost because you're making money out of the Apple ecosystem slash platform. Um, you can have one link one link you can't have lots of links so you know maybe you want one on the sign in page but once you're signed in maybe you want a different link over here you can't do that or take them out of the in-app flow so it's all it's all a bit nickel and dimey it's not good at all and the whole tracking thing is just like come on apple you keep releasing technology to stop apps tracking but yet you're now doing it to keep your own revenue train going it's it's a really double double-faced look that they're trying to achieve they're talking one way outwardly to most of their customers and then they're talking in a slightly different voice with a different meaning to their developers they're not telling the same story of the company what ethos and, and values it's it's not good is it i really don't like this i don't like this for lots of reasons i don't think it's maintaining the security and standards of what apple try and portray themselves as I don't like the warnings and things that go along with it. I don't like the feeling it's put out there to the developer community. We'll touch on that in a minute. I don't like the warning. I mean, if you scroll down the TechCrunch article, which talks about this a little bit that I've put in the show notes, the big App Store warning, starting with, you're about to go to an external website. Apple is not responsible for the privacy or security of purchase made in the app, and then a web, and then a bunch of small text. 
How many years have we been buying things on the internet? Going to Amazon, putting in our credit card details and safely buying things. This is not new to external developers, third-party developers, other people who take money from you. People are quite familiar with it. My parents, well, my father at least, is capable of going to Amazon and safely carrying out a transaction without it being in Apple's pocket. I just think this is horrendous for third-party developers and anybody else. And you can understand why the Dutch government and others were getting so worked up about this kind of stuff when they started Apple doing it in the meanest, nastiest way possible to implement these requirements by governments. Yeah, I completely agree with you here. And it doesn't bode well. We were talking about sideloading at the top of the show in the news. If they actually enable sideloading, can you imagine how they're going to do it? It's going to be horrible. I don't know why. They just seem to think that when they've been forced to do something, they need to forget their principles and just park that at the door and let's just doing a non-Apple way. So it is really disappointing. And it must be tough for the developer evangelists out there that work for Apple have to tow company line and then, like I say, turn around and speak to the developers and try and encourage them. So it's, it's not, I, it's, none of this is good. They're so pernickety about how you can put do the one link and the text that's going to be there and then take so much money. They know nobody's going to do this because why would you? The thing that slightly boggles my mind about this is this is the week they wanted little developers on board, you know, with the Vision Pro releasing and some resistance from some of the holdouts for this. What you want are those third-party developers, the small people, you know, the people like Marco Armen and Brent Simmons and people like that who have developed apps that have brought people to the platform. Overcast is something that they don't have on Android with all the smart features in it that you show them that and that's a compelling reason to go to the platform. And all the stuff like this does is put people off and it puts them off really, really hard. There are long-term Apple developers incensed about this and you can understand why. It's so, it's such a, you know, you're, you're sticking it in people's face that all you care about is the control of your platform. I think John Syracuse, John Syracuse said it really well on the ATP thing. You've got old people who've been in the computing industry a long time who've seen companies like IBM seed a little bit of their platform and that's the end of the company. And they're so terrified of this happening that they won't give up any sort of control. I honestly believe if Apple had allowed this with a mon- even a nominal fee, 1%, something like that, most people would have stuck to the existing in-store Apple payment system because it's just easier for most developers. But it's the no, and the and the the scrooginess of this really that is really offending people. Combined with, I don't think the App Store experience for developers, at least, is a particularly rosy garden. It's full of scammy apps, poor search terms. Unless you know what you're looking for exactly, you know all the things we've talked about with two-factor authenticators that have been stealing people's credentials over time. Even the walled garden isn't as good as you say it is. Today, the developer of Ice Cubes had a point release. 2.1.4 rejected because somebody on app review decided they didn't like the fact that it linked to a github website that is not a consistent experience for people who do toe the party line what's it going to be like for people who don't and want to take this out i think this is terrible on apple's part they're not consistent at all though are they i think that is the the big problem and i get the scale they're at and if you you know humans responding it's hard to be consistent but it's it's not good and this was something they were meant to be fixing with Phil Schiller taking on the App Store, and it did improve, but it feels like it's slowly slipping back to where we don't want it to be. It is a concern, but even without how they enforce the rules, the rules they've come up with are awful. 
you know, it hasn't even got to the enforcement stage of this. It's these, these are the rules. We've designed them. This is what we think is right. Has somebody inside Apple gone, whoa, hang on a minute. But maybe the higher ups have gone, don't care. This is what we're doing. I said a minute ago, they do love money. I will point out, we don't need to spend too long about this because I don't think many people are going to argue with us that Apple are doing the right thing here. Brent Simmons and John Gruber, who I've I've taken exception to some of John Gruber's comments recently, but actually I think he's right with this. But I just want to read a quote from a very good article in inessential.com, which is Brent Simmons' blog. He makes NetNewsWire, amongst other software, so he's a long-time Mac developer. He says how much joy and a career that Apple products have brought him a statement, but I need to remember now and again that Apple is a corporation and corporations aren't people and they can't love you back. You wouldn't love General Electric or Exxon or Comcast and you shouldn't love Apple. It's not an exception to the rule. There are no exceptions. They love money. They want control of their products. They want control of their platform. And no matter how much we want to root for them as the as the little underdog, they ain't that anymore. No, they haven't been the underdog for a long, long time. But equally, they're making enough money. Like, and they're going to continue to make more money in other areas, but they need to live by their by their principles, surely. You would have thought so. That segues really nicely into Gruber's comment, I think, Chris. Thank you for setting me up like that. His quote, Apple's calculus should be to balance its natural desire to book a large amount of revenue from the App Store with policies that, to some degree, placate rather than antagonize regulators and legislators. No matter what the sport, no matter what the letter of the rulebook says, it's never a good idea to piss off the refs. And this is pissing off everybody. This is pissing off the EU. This is pissing off the Supreme Court in America. This will be pissing off the whatever our UK equivalent is, Competitions and Mergers Authority, whoever it is. This is a not, it's pissing off developers, large and small around the place. And Apple has a lot of positive mindshare when it was so open with developers. You could do Pascal in Xcode. You could do C in Xcode. You could do Interface Builder and whatever came before it. They were an open platform. They were in universities. That famous picture of the American university with everybody, one guy who had a ThinkPad with an Apple laptop. That doesn't look like that anymore. They're in serious danger in three, four, five years time. And I think the Vision Pro is a sort of a toe in the water for this, of not having the mindset of people who want to be on the platform building apps for them. And that's a dangerous place to be. They're there because the iPhone has billions of users. But how long can they maintain that if people don't want to develop for the platform? Yeah, if they keep eroding the will, it, it will happen, won't it? I guess what keeps the developers there, though, is the sheer quantum of customers. But, you know, if they can't build the apps they want to do or make their business work, then it's going to drive them away. Interesting you mentioned John Gruber. He had Hey Calendar sponsor him recently, which I thought was problematic, if I'm being honest. So I'm, I'm surprised he allowed that one through. No, I think I agree with you on this. They are, they're not living by their principles publicly, and they should be. It doesn't matter whether you're what, what do they say you should live by your values even if nobody's looking you know that, that, that that's what it should be so it doesn't matter whether you know you send an email and you don't send it you just delete it, it all the content in it should have been one you'd be happy to send you know when nobody's in the office you shouldn't i don't know, leave your dirty cups on the side because nobody can see you you should put them in the dishwasher that you know they're both basic values aren't they and yet here's apple going you shouldn't people a company shouldn't track people they should be open they should be secure and then here we are going we're going to track, we're not going to be open, we're not doing the right thing. I think we're going to see more of this this year. It does not bode well for the rest of the year. No, and let's face it, if the refs, as Gruber calls them, who are the Supreme Court and the EU and others, say, no, you will open up the store, you will not be able to charge for it, and somebody like Epic comes along with an alternative app store that charges 3% for all this kind of stuff, and Apple have got to allow it, 
people will go there. The developers will go there. It's in their interests to do so. We've said this a few times on this podcast. If they'd given an inch or even a couple of inches any time in the last three years, they wouldn't, they're going to be forced to give a mile in a minute. And I think that's going to be a problem for them. Yep, and they should make their solution so compelling that yes, you don't want to go and do the other solution. Not just based upon monetary, but based upon the integration, the conversion rate. You know, there's a load of metrics they could use, but they're not. They're just going after the percentages and the pain it would be to do it. Make your your first party solution so much better. Yeah, it's a free marketplace. Win by being better, not by being restrictive. Agreed. There's a couple of other stories in the show notes about the Apple trying to charge Epic for legal expenses as, as part of that story, which we won't go into. And Spotify weighing in this, unsurprisingly, Spotify. And, you know, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for Spotify, but in this case, 27% purchases outside the App Store is outrageous, and I hope the EU does do something. This should be a cut, I think, but, but uh, very proportionate. Absolutely. You know, when they released the Mac all those years ago, they weren't charging whoever just to install software on it. You know, you go out and develop your own and install software. What, what's the end game of this? If you and I write a little Perl script or a Python script, we need to pay Apple for the privilege of doing that? Well, that could be problematic. It's problematic, and it annoys me to an infeasible amount, actually, that we want Apple to have the values we think they have, and a lot of the time they do, but then they do a real big red flag like this, and you're like, whoa, what is going on? And that that annoys me. Yeah, agreed. Should we talk about something slightly more positive, perhaps, in the Apple Vision Pro? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So pre-orders were last Friday. I think delivery date's the 2nd of February or thereabouts is what's planned to be. So leading up to that, there was no big event. There was nothing going on, but there were a few carefully placed Press releases, experiences from people who got to try it again, from The Verge, from John Gruber, from others at 95 who went out there and tried it. And basically, my reading of these sort of hands-on were, yeah, it was the same as what they had last time. Amazing experience, more or less run through exactly the same process as they had last time. Yeah, that's what I've, I've taken away. I um, A couple of comments, I think, for me. One, I love seeing people's photos in their stories of a picture of them wearing the headset, and then obviously they've written the words for the review. It seems so controlled, which I find really bizarre, because in two weeks' time, this is going to be in the general public's hands, and they're going to say whatever they want. I find it really weird how controlling Apple are being with it. And we did touch on this last time. It's interesting. I went back and watched WWDC. Um, but, you know, I think it was a half-hour intro. Um, I'm amazed they didn't do something this time around, but how little the messaging, the the scenery used, the photos, the apps. Nothing's really changed in six months. I guess they've firmed up a lot underneath, and... You know, there's got to be lots of bugs they've quashed and all the things you didn't see. But it kind of shows that actually it feels like they had a pretty solid experience six months ago. And actually they haven't deviated much from it. And what they need to do now is get them out in the wild. And and then things may change once people start using it and they get some real feedback. But it just strikes me not much has changed since WWDC, which I'm surprised by. And how much they've controlled it, like I say, when in two weeks time, the world, the world and his proverbial wife can buy one try out if you're in america and write or film or do whatever you want i'm really curious to see what the reviews are going to be like because you obviously they can review the hardware and show it to you but they can't show you them using it unless you just want to look at a picture of them wearing it so it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes i'm really looking forward to see what mkbhd does with it 
I agree. It has been quite a controlled message. It does seem like the media and the demo are, are the same as the WWDC one. There is an Apple 10-minute video of what that demo is, effectively, which I hope Chris will go off uh, to the internet and find on YouTube. Apple released two videos along with this, one of which was this 10-minute walkthrough, which talked about now we're going to go and work, now we're going to watch a movie, now we're going to experience this. And then the second one was the making of the Apple Vision Pro. By the way, I keep saying Apple Vision Pro abbreviated to AVP, which makes me think Alien versus Predator every single time. Not a great comparison, terrible movie. So I think that's all quite interesting. The comfort seems fine. Most people hint towards the fact that it's getting quite heavy, even with the additional straps and things by the time you want to take it off your head. Very few of the pictures show the battery in it, uh, which is only good for two and a half hours. Uh, as we said last week, jokingly, you wouldn't even be able to get through Killers of the Flower Moon on that battery. So that's a bit of a problem. So there's already aftermarket parts becoming available. There's Belkin have released a clip so you can clip the battery to your belt. There's no information on whether it's hot, i.e. can you unplug it and plug in another battery very quickly. You can leave it plugged in and tethered, but that's a problem. I will say the the demo, the sort of 10-minute demo of how it works is quite compelling well some of it was quite compelling watching a movie on that is going to be cool as hell particularly something spatial with 3d 3d is going to look amazing properly beamed in your left and right eye dread 3d will now look as uh, as its makers intended it and i don't know if that's enough reason to get me to spend three and a half thousand pounds on a headset but that's a use case i could get behind the rest of it i wasn't so don't disagree with a lot of what you said three and a half thousand dollars in British pounds is £2,754. So it may, may come in cheaper, but we know Apple will round up. So it's probably about 3000 in, in our country. But we'll have to see if it does come out. And it is meant to come out between now and June. So we have to see. I'll be honest, I've probably flip-flopped a bit on this thinking about it. I was like, actually, if it was available now, would I blow £3,500 on it? So let's assume it was a one-to-one conversion rate. And I don't know because I'm still sceptical of closing myself off to the world. You know, I could just imagine I'm working at home on my own shed. I've got got one of these on. And, and maybe there's, you know, a massive thunderstorm or something. And I completely miss all of it because I'm, I'm just locked away in my own little world. So I'm not I'm not sure. And I probably wouldn't use it when my family's around because I don't want to shut myself off from my family. I think the world's quite isolating as it is. I don't want to isolate myself when I've got three other people in the house to talk to and engage with and share things I'm watching with them. So I'm completely mixed on how much I would really want one and would use it and i don't know the answer but i would love to try it so i think if it's in this country i would definitely go and have a look um yeah like you though i think it's interesting seeing some of the messaging coming out but i'm amazed still amazed up i haven't done a proper release video of this and i don't get why ahead of pre-order they didn't announce the pricing for the different tiers the accessories there, there's a travel case that comes with it the, the balcony clip that you mentioned why not announce that ahead of time I just don't get it. It's coming out on the Friday. Why not, you know, a week before and tell everybody what they're doing so when they get to the checkout, they're not thinking, do I want to buy the 512 gigabyte model or the terabyte model and, and trying to weigh up the, the cost of doing it. So I just found it all a bit strange. And they've, I can't remember if we mentioned this in the show, but they've also restricted the app stores and the movie stores so that if you're not a US Apple ID person, you can't watch any content or download any apps. So they're really putting the barriers up here. I guess that's to stop people buying them abroad or maybe them appearing on the UK eBay site and we're paying us what would be a literal fortune for it because you need you need that as well. So I kind of get some of what they're doing, but I don't understand a lot of it. Why are they not making more out of it? They could have really dragged the marketing out, you know, over a period of time and really built some hype 
but maybe they don't they don't want to do it and i don't think apple does hype very well you know they do the initial hype and the surge but they don't then tease us information you know say right it's coming out in a month's time you don't then get like a, a something every week you know i just find it very odd how they do it you get big splurges of information and then nothing so yeah it's been super interesting to see how they're doing it i would love to have seen steve jobs do a proper keynote of introducing this like the iphone sit me down steve tell me why you've now made the fourth category of device like you did with the ipad of how it slots into the ecosystem and why i would buy this i missed one of those videos we haven't really had one of those for a long time have we yeah, the Apple Watch was really the last big product that they tried to get a tent pole out with and sort of really say this is we're moving things along a little bit. And this spatial vision thing is definitely part of this. I mean, you touched on a couple of things there that I think is worth picking up on. It's got different tiers. We didn't know that. You know, this time last week, there's a 256, there's a 512, there's a one terabyte. There's a $400 delta, I think, between the 256 and the one terabyte. You can buy additional straps. You can buy the bits and pieces. It comes with a polishing cloth. So you can polish the outside. It's more than $700 if you break the glass on the outside of the thing that shows your uh, eyes, which is insane. You could buy another iPhone for the cost of a, a crack in the external uh, display of that. We don't know how fragile they are. Um, apparently the audio is quite good even without headphones in that video we've now linked to in the show notes. You'll be able to see uh, that he's reacting well to a little bit of audio within the application itself. We think they've sold 180,000 devices. That might be all they had, because now the, the delivery went from the 2nd of Feb to sometime in March very, very quickly. Based on that, my little calculation, if everybody bought the low-end one, Apple made $810 million. Wow. It's not bad. I'd love to know what their um, projections are. You know, were they expecting... Were they expecting to sell that sort of many, or were they, were they more expecting, oh, we might... You know, we might sell 50,000 or something because they were talking about, well, they weren't, but, but it was speculated how supply constraint this device would be. So super, it'd be great to know their, their forecast versus their actuals. It seems quite a lot they've sold. So I think there is demand for it. I wonder how many returns they might get from people that have bought it because it's the thing from Apple, but didn't look closely into it. But it looks like uh, Microsoft Office is all going to be there native, not just the iPad versions. So it'll be interesting to see what that's like. Teams is going to be there as well. So there's, there's, no, but my, to be fair to Microsoft, they're there day one, which I wasn't sure if they would be. Now, they were announced at WWDC, but again, why has there not been just a press release on that? That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let's talk about the apps in a minute. I just want to finish off this point about ordering it. So you spend that amount of money. One of the things you have to do, and this, this is my suspicion as to why it's America only, is that you need to upload a prescription. And it is a prescription for your lenses. So there's a sort of fairly limited, it's about 1.3 meters, I think, focal range within the device that you're actually sort of trying to accommodate. So they want you to have that prescription uploaded and they'll only allow you within a particular range, plus eight to minus eight or something like that. I don't actually know what it is. I think it's in the, in the linked article. If you're outside of that, too bad. They won't sell you one, <laughs> which I think is amazing. Yeah, I think that is interesting. I'd love to know the ratio of people buying them that are wearing glasses. I mean, I'm wearing my glasses now, but when... You, when I heard it was about 1.3 meters range, I was like, actually, I probably wouldn't wear my glasses now because I get a headache if I wear these and I'm trying to look too far away. Like I don't wear these when I'm watching television. So for me, I probably wouldn't wouldn't go for a prescription. I'm assuming you can buy the inserts after if you want to because obviously your eyesight will change over time. So I'd like to know the ratio there. How many people ordering them have ordered lenses in addition just to the headset? I think you've got to, haven't you? You've got to have the certainly a certain amount of inserts because the two bits that change are the inserts for the lenses. Unless you've got twenty twenty vision, people with three and a half thousand dollars to drop probably aren't in their early twenties. 
just just a suspicion of mine you know that you're likely to have at least people in the 30s that have earned a money to do it you know and, and at that point you're beginning to look into corrective lenses lots of nerds need glasses that seems to be a, a, I include myself as a nerd in that particular thing so there's, there's a bit there to think about it how well are contacts are they going to get dry so the beginning to answer some of those questions we had about how do you order it and part of the process of ordering this is you do that, you get lenses from Zeiss, you can update them, great. Coming along with that is the fact that there's a guest mode on the device, which we didn't even know how that was going to work, did we? You'd be able to set it in guest mode, hand it to somebody else, and somebody else could have a play with your device. And I think that's quite a useful thing. No, that is cool. And they should do a guest mode. And I think we've all been wanting that for our iPads for a long time. It all sounds good. I just don't get why they couldn't tell us some of this beforehand, why I had to wait. Because they, they knew all this. Why, why do they have to keep it quiet? I just find that bizarre. Maybe there was a developer that were hoping was going to push something out at some point and they were going to have a big announcement. But it does feel like quite a muted launch to me. They didn't have that many of them. They know they're expensive. This is the first generation of a new product. They don't know what demand's going to be like. You and I, more you than me, have flip-flopped on this more or less from the beginning. It's fair to say that even us as hardcore Apple people who are normally first in the, cl- the queue going shop and give me a, take my money are a bit, hmm, really? Hmm. Yeah, I think for me, it's the whole turning, shutting myself off from the outside world. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I don't know. Uh, and I'd also have to talk my work into allowing a Vision Pro to be enrolled, whereas at the moment you can only enroll iPads or iPhones. You're the boss, you can change that. Uh, I've just got a couple of other observations and we will move on because otherwise we're going to go super long. The little 10 minute demo that when they said, no, we're going to do some work, and what they showed was somebody opening a web browser and then taking a video call. What's that about? Uh, that is pretty much my work in <laughs> video calling websites. Like I say, I'm amazed there's not more of a partnership with Microsoft here. They could have made a really big splash there. That's not the thing, though, is it? Where are the first-party apps? The only first-party app that's coming with this is Keynote. Where is Numbers? Where is Pages? Where is some sort of writing thing? Is the typing experience that bad in it that they don't want to show it? Potentially, but I'm amazed Pages isn't there. It does support a Bluetooth keyboard, though. You can obviously pair stuff to it. I don't know whether it does... The continuity thing, universal control, where you you know you have your keyboard and mouse on your Mac and you can use it on your iPad. Does that extend over to a Vision Pro? Like I say, there's a lot. There's just so many unknowns. But why is Pages not there? If you've done Keynote, and we talked about this last week, and same with Numbers. So it does seem crazy to me they're not there day one. They were on the iPad. They've had them on the Mac. They've unified all the code base. So it's insane to me. Yeah, so that feels very limited. It will launch with 3D movies from Disney Plus. That's good. It's got a fit, there's a website uh, on groundbreaking immersive visuals from today's biggest storytellers. They're going to debut on the Vision Pro. Obviously, Apple TV Plus will be there as well. So we've got Disney and Vision Plus. Uh, what we don't have is Netflix or YouTube. So the two biggest video platforms on the planet. Then, and people are going to watch in their web browsers, I guess. Could you imagine though Netflix going, "Are oh, you on a Vision Pro in a web browser block?" Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this one goes. Are they going to? Is Chrome going to be on there? Who knows? Do, do you have to use the same WebKit engine that you have to use on the iPad and stuff? I think there is so many unknowns with this, um, which is interesting I, I, and frustrating in equal measure, I think. I think Netflix is a particular problem because an application for this would be I'm going to download a couple of movies, I'm going to take a flight to San Francisco, and I'm going to just chill out and really enjoy having a massive screen in front of me. No, you're not. Not on Netflix, anyway. Especially with Netflix, because their whole MO historically has been, and this is why they're as big as they are, they're on every device. That was a thing. You know, you'd buy a TV with a button on it. You'd buy a box and had a button on it. You'd buy a, a laptop. You could launch Netflix. They literally saturated the market. You could get Netflix on anything. Um, so it is curious they're not on it. I, 
I wonder whether it's coming, but, but they need a bit more time. I don't know. But I don't feel it's that. I think it's they don't want to cede control to Apple of another potential platform. They've been burned through uh, the, the App Store. They've been burned with uh, 27% and, and, and things like that before now. They are waiting and seeing it. I suspect if they sell a billion of these things, then Netflix and YouTube will be on there. Of course they will. But at the point, it's 180,000. It's a niche within a niche within a niche for them, and there's probably no point. So that that calculus of them for how many they sell versus worth us doing it, plus giving up control, because they don't want to give up any more control than Apple does, is quite a complex equation for them. Yeah, okay. I can understand that. I'm amazed, though, Apple didn't dispatch Eddie Q around there in his Ferrari and just gave it to the CEO or something and go, here you go, have this car, there's a there's some cash in the boot, they get your app on the Vision Pro. Because you know Netflix have probably worked it up in beta format. They almost certainly have. It's not hard to do it, is it? It's just a checkbox on the store, I presume. Let the iPad version run on the Vision Pro. Well, there's two things in there. Let the iPad version run, or B, you know, go into Xcode, you know, compile it for the Vision Pro, probably make some tweaks and off you go. So, I'm yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah. And it's worth at this point saying there's two links from Steve Trout and Smith who shows Microsoft Office and Microsoft Teams running on the Vision Pro and what that looks like. Others on Mastodon, such as uh, James Thompson, actually ordered them on the day. It was quite funny, my little niche on Mastodon, watching all the UK developers try and order Vision Pros. Quite a few of them did, as did Vitici, who's Italian, so based within the EU, try to get one as well. I guess they're all planning to take flights to America to get them. Or they've got friends who can ship them, but I'm not sure I'd want to ship one of them, to be honest with you. Now, it was great, actually, Mastodon. It was nice to see a bit of buzz for a while because the iPhone thing, a lot of us buy iPhones every year. It's become an annual thing, but it's not as exciting as a new platform and getting the orders in. So it was interesting that day, and obviously new information came out with the, with the pre-release ordering. So it was, it was nice. It was nice to have a little buzz, and it felt like Twitter had come back a little bit. Yeah, it was good. Have we got anything else to say, or are we going to wait for orders next week now? I don't think there's much else on the Vision Pros. I think that maybe some more and why as we go through the week. Yeah, interesting to see what see what comes up. So I've got one last thing I'm going to finish on. There's a link in the show notes called duck.house and it shows a screenshot of what's available as default on the Vision Pro and when you get it. And you get the App Store. You get a thing called Encounter Dinosaurs, the Files app, Freeform, whoopty, Keynote, Mail, Messages, Mindfulness, Music, Notes, Photos, Safari, Settings, Tips and TV. And that's your lot. Yeah, there's a lot of apps missing from this. Notes is there, actually, which I don't think I'd registered, but I'm amazed, like, Reminders isn't there and all the sort of stock iPad apps. How have they not gone file, save as, Vision OS version, and off we go? Interesting freeforms there. Curious to know how that's going to work. How would you draw? Do you draw with your finger? Uh, I, I don't know. I'd love to see how that one works. Yeah, I'm amazed so, they've got so few apps, really, on there out of out of their standard and here we are we've got another os in the plethora that hasn't got all the same apps on it you know how long is it going to take them to get the calculator on it and stuff like that so it'll be interesting to see how that unwinds three and a half thousand dollars 15 apps way yeah it's not helping is it that's a lot of money it's a lot of money. but maybe that's why well, it's so high so limited because it is a dev kit and they're you know you can see over the next year they're going to i would imagine every point release that comes there'll be another default app added you, you've got to think they're going to be doing that I, uh, just my closing thought is for the amount of time they've had to develop this i'm stunned that they so little first party software they're hoping the devs will bring things i don't think as we talked about in the first part of the main show that they've done a great job in bringing people on board but you know you get all microsoft office on there and you get teams on there and you can do a bits and pieces and, and fine so 
I'm cautiously interested. I wouldn't be rushing out to put my money down for one, though. Yeah, I can understand that. I'm probably coming more around to your your way of thinking in recent weeks because it is a lot of money. It is. Okay, app of the week. I continue my obsession with screenshotting apps. This one's called ScreenFloat 2. It takes over Command Shift 2 on your Mac. It costs $6.99 on the App Store. Link in the show notes. It does all the same as all these other screenshot apps do. You can take a screenshot. You can annotate them. It's got a couple of other nice little features in it. So it's got a quick drop-down menu. You can save as PDF or PNG or JPEG or anything. It does video recordings as well and they'll record system audio. It has a little browser then of all the screenshots you've captured and you can just whip back and get one. You can sync them to iCloud. So it's quite a full-featured screenshot app. The sort of killer feature of it though is it will leave the screenshot over everything else you're doing. So quite often I'll use a screenshot and I want to refer to something in the screenshot and go back to it. And with most screenshot apps that goes to the background and at some point you're looking around for that particular screenshot. This will hover it and you can disable it if you don't want that particular feature on your screen over everything else until you need it. So I think this is a killer feature for this thing. It wasn't a lot of money, so I'm willing to give it a go for a couple of days, maybe maybe longer. Yeah, and that's quite cool. I like the sound of that. Um, if I use my Mac, I'm like you. I often I take a screen grab because I want something. I want to refer to it. I want to think about it. Yeah, it looks very good. Yeah, it's a good app. Uh, Six ninety nine. Uh, chuck the developer some money if you fancy go uh, of it. And uh, the browser thing may actually be useful as well because quite often I'll take screenshots and think, where's that gone? And I've binned it for whatever reason. So be able to scroll back through them and then have them auto-delete after 30 days or something like that. That's actually quite a powerful thing too. Yeah, that is good. I do like things that clean up after themselves, I must say. Definitely. Thing of the week. So thing of the week, I've gone a bit different this week. I thought I'd go with Christopher Ward. They make watches. They're based in Maidenhead in the UK. And I went to see them with some friends of mine. And I just thought I'd share it here. They make really nice watches. They've got Swiss movements in them. They produce them in the UK. And they just make some nice watches that aren't a ridiculous amount of money. Not cheap, but not a ridiculous amount of money. And if you're into Apple Watch Ultra territory, that's the sort of price you're looking at for one of these. And I just thought I'd share it because I think I think they've got some really nice pieces, nice straps, bands. And since I sold my Apple Watch, I've been getting back into analog watches. So I just thought I'd share that. That's something a bit different for Thing of the Week. There's a touch of the Amiga watch about them, I've got to say. Yeah, potentially. I quite like them. I, I like the clean aesthetic that they've got. And we went and met, met one of the guys there, talked us through a bunch of their watches they do. It's just an interesting company. They're growing really big. They've got one model. I can't remember exactly which one it was off the top of my head because it's got a name I can't pronounce. It was the... Uh, I'm trying to find it now. Oh, I can't see it. Was it the Belcanto maybe? Yeah, the Belcanto watch. Apparently this blew up big on YouTube and the reviewers loved it and normally these watches cost like £10,000 but they do it for £3,000 because of the mechanism that's in it. And so they've just become massive overnight. But just I thought they made quite quite a good product and like i say most of them are sub a thousand pounds which for an analog watch isn't ridiculous especially if it's got the swiss movement in it so yeah i just thought i'd share that it's nice to support a british company it's a nice little app of the week i'm going to throw my previous favorite company for watches before i got into apple watches was a company called tw steel they're a bit cheaper than the company you just mentioned they tend to they used to do oversized watch faces it's just a really nice company. They make some really nice products. The carbon line they've got going for quite a decent amount of money at the moment is available in lots of nice colors. Also Swiss movements, I think, within them. They have a huge range of things to look at. They support lots of sports, Red Bull, MotoGP. Uh, I think they do some Formula One things as well. They're just quite an interesting company. So I'll just throw that out there as a slightly cheaper alternative to your recommendation. 
Yeah, no, this, well, I, I was only putting in Christopher Walker's so I went with some friends, but now I like the look of the TW Steel. They've got a very nice orange one. I don't like that the date is on the wonk, but other than that, I think it looks fantastic. I quite like the look of these. There you go. I've recommended something for you for the week. Yeah, I don't think I should buy any more watches. I've bought two in the last six months, so I'm not sure I need a third. Fair enough. I think we can call that a show, Chris. That was great. Thank you, Rod. That was really good. And look, if anybody wants to get into contact, Rod is at g5maniac at mastodon.scot. I'm at underscore cjp at mastodon.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Mm-hmm.